Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Presbyterian Church in Lakanto, Florida. Our passion is to be a church that enjoys God, experiences His grace, and reflects His love to our community and beyond. To join our local body in financial support of this ministry, visit our website at sevenrivers.org. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Romans chapter 8. We've been, um, you know, a, a, a part, part of uh, education really is giving kids a foundation, right? You don't think when they leave here at 12th grade they're educated. They're not educated. They've just been given a foundation, right? They've been given the tools. Go to college. When they're done with college, they're not educated. They've just been given a foundation. Go to graduate school. And then you become a lifelong learner. That's the idea, right? To give people a passion to read, to know, to discover um, God's world. But it all starts with the laying of a foundation. If you never lay the foundation, you don't have anything to build on going um, forward. So as a church, that's what we've uh, committed ourselves to. Again, as we start this church year that in our preaching, we're going to kind of reset the foundation because there is some sense in our culture that that the foundation has eroded. Um, So uh, church, uh, churches through the ages, Christians uh, wrote uh, confessions of faith. They wrote creeds, right, uh, to help guide the church. And one written uh, 500 years ago was called the Westminster um, Confession of Faith. And we're using that as sort of a guide to take, what does the Bible um, teach? What are the foundations? So the first uh, week of the year, we talked about the Bible. What does the Bible teach about itself? What is the Bible Then who's the main character of the Bible? Well, that's God. Who is God? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Then we talked about creation. What's that? How does the Bible start? How does the story start with creation? Then we talked about the fall of man, the rebellion of man, the moving away from God. Then uh, Adam Jones last week talked about the mediator of the covenant of God um, uh, entering into his creation um, to bring rescue and redemption now, this morning, I'm going to talk about how does that actually happen? How does that actually happen in our um, lives and in the lives of people? How does God actually come into our lives and make us his? So that's where we're going. Stand, and I'm going to read um, to us as we read God's Word, starting at Romans chapter 8, just three verses, and then Ephesians um, chapter 1. You ready? Ready to rock and roll here? Um, and we know... And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. So there's a key word for us this morning. For those who are called according to his purpose. What does that mean to be called by God? For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now that word predestined always causes people angst. Um, But it's important to know we didn't just make it up. It's actually in the book, right? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Then Ephesians chapter one, just three verses as well. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Get out of here. Do you hear that? Before the world was even made. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. This then is the reading of God's holy, infallible, and inspired word. The grass withers. How's your lawn look these days, right? After the last weekend, the grass withers and the flower fades, but not the word of God. No, the word of God stands forever. Gosh, it's so good to have God's word. You may be seated, please. So you know what's really fun? It's really fun, it's really healthy, it's really good. Uh, as a couple to revisit um, how your love uh, together blossomed, you know, to reminisce how you met, um, how you fell uh, in love. You know, Valentine's Day is coming up in a week, and I'm sure Diane and I will have time at dinner somewhere. And uh, as it happens every, uh, every Valentine's Day, Diane will look across the table and she said, I cannot believe that God gave me you. She'll say, it's not just your intelligence and not just your, I mean, award, uh, world-class humor. Um, I still remember the first time I saw you, I mean, absolute hunk of masculinity. And I've just never gotten over it. So I love it. I, I can't ever hear that enough. Year after year, that's how Valentine's goes in, in, uh, in our house. Um, some of you, we don't provide barf bags in your bulletin, so... Just hang in there. Um, no, you know, it's, it's beautiful to remember, isn't it? Um, it never gets old um, to, hear the, uh, to hear the story. So a week ago, a gentleman in our church died, Paul Schwein, just a dear, Paul and Barbara were here for over 30 years, served our church, beautiful. So when I called her and I was praying with her on the phone, we got to talking because she told me they'd been married almost 66 years. And she started telling me the story of how they met, you know. And, uh, and she said when she met him, she would pray every night and ask God that, that God would give her Paul to be her husband. Uh, and then she told me, she said, this little whisper, she said, I was only 14 years old. She said, I lied about my age. Uh, it, was, uh, it was so sweet. Uh, it was so precious. It was also certainly a different era, um, you know. So this morning, you know, that's what we're going to do. It is, it is as, as, um, as good as it is for couples to remember, it is good for us to reminisce. Uh, it is soul-enriching and healthy to remember how we met Jesus, how we fell in love, how we became a follower, how we were converted. It's healthy. It's healthy to remember uh, our experience. One of the great things as a pastor is I get to hear your stories of how grace, how Jesus broke into your world and into your life. Some people tell, you know, as my mother, I mean, growing up uh, as a little child in my, in my bed at night, reading Bible stories and praying with me at night, that's the first time I, I became a Christian right then and there as a, as a, as a, as a little itty bitty one. Others will say it's, it was in camp, a high school um, camp, student ministry um, camp. One time I was uh, interviewing three couples, to, to three people to join the church uh, all in one evening, and every one of them told me that they were converted, one after another, separate, all converted in high school camp. 
um, church camp. Parenthesis, parents, get your kids to camp, right? Um, so maybe it was as a child, maybe it was in high school, maybe for some of you, you know, your story would be um, uh, crying and, and, and desperately praying over the, over the bassinet of your um, newborn in the, in the neonatal intensive care unit at the hospital, begging God to give um, your baby life, that, that Jesus met you there in a way you'd never met him um, before. Some of you would say it was addiction. I had so many years of addiction, so many broken relationships, uh, sometimes arrest, jail, wreckage, made a terrible mess of my life. Um, I was in a spiral that, that, that uh, uh, was heading nowhere good, and Jesus busted in. You know, I, I love hearing your stories. And a lot of people in this community would say, I was retired. I came to Florida. I've been religious uh, all my life, but I came to Florida, and, uh, and it was right here in uh, Florida, maybe even at Seven Rivers, that I met um, Jesus. One man in our church told me, he said, I moved here uh, as a young man. Uh, I was an engineer, got hired in the job. About three months into the job, my boss walked into um, uh, my office and he said, you really need to be a Christian. And uh, he told me, he said, okay. And, <laughs> and he said, then his boss said, and... Uh, and you really need to go to a church. And uh, he said, I said, okay. And um, he said, not only that, I've got a church, Seven Rivers uh, Church. I like my church. I think it's a good church. You need to come to our church. And he said, he said, okay. And, um, and then his boss said, and you need to tithe. <laughs> and he said, okay. And uh, I'm not kidding, this is exactly how he told the story. He said, so that week I came to Seven Rivers Church and I was converted. Um, and he said, a couple months later, my boss dropped out of church and I never saw him at church again. <laughs> I, I'm not saying that's the way it happens, but everybody's stories, the people's stories are crazy about the way that uh, God breaks into life. So, you know, you, you could tell me your story from your point of view, but you know what we're going to do this week? We're going to hear your story from God's point of view. In other words, way before you ever thought of him once, he was thinking of you. Isn't that astounding? So we're going to go there. We're going to hear this. And you know, if you're not a Christian, um, I'm so glad you're here. Um, and I can't wait to tell you how it happens. Um, so let's go there. You know, the Bible says you cannot, Jesus said, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are born again. Okay? So to be born, I mean, the most significant day of your life undoubtedly is the day you're born. If that doesn't happen, then, then there's not a whole lot going to go on in your life, right? So to be born is a, a big one, right? A big day. You've got to be born. Well, spiritually, the Bible says, to actually have a relationship with God that goes on into all eternity, you have to be born again. Something spiritually has to happen that obviously is life-changing. That doesn't mean it has to be dramatic. Sometimes it's very quiet and still. Sometimes it's crazy dramatic, but you must be born again. You with me? So there's where we're going. How does that happen? How is a person converted? You got a sermon outline. Here we go. First point. Um, to be converted, we have to realize that there's a huge obstacle. There's a big problem, right? There's a there's a serious, uh, there's something serious to be overcome. Here's what it is. Here's the problem. We don't want to be a Christian. We don't want Jesus. We don't want it. 
That's the problem right there. We don't want to be a follower of Christ. We don't want to be in love with Christ. We don't want to give Christ our life. We don't want to serve him with our life. We don't want to use our gifts for him. We don't want to make life about um, him. We don't want to submit our will to him. We don't want to live for his glory. We don't want to honor God. We don't want to be filled with gratitude for God's goodness to us. There you have it. There's the obstacle. Our wills are corrupted. We do not want it. We do not want God. We do not want his ways. We don't want to live in his world in submission to him. Well, the Bible says this all over the place. Romans 1 says it so clearly. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men because they suppress the truth, right? For what can be known about God is plain to them because God's shown it to them. Nobody can say, I don't know about God. No, he's, he's made it plain to them. He's shown it to them. And although they knew God, they would not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Look at what it says in Romans 8. It says, the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law. It cannot, it will not, right? And then read what, what else the scriptures say very clearly in Ephesians 3. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. So, why don't we run to God? Why don't we turn to God? Why don't we accept God? Why don't we pursue God? Why don't we follow God? Because we're dead. Dead people don't really do anything, right? Dead people are unable. Dead people, we don't want to. We're not interested. That's why the confession says that we're, um, the Westminster Confession says, man by his fall into a state of sin hath wholly lost all ability of will to any spiritual good accompanying salvation. So as a natural man, being altogether averse from that good and dead in sin, is not able by his own strength. We are dead to the things of God. We are deeply corrupted. We don't want God, we don't love God. We love who? We love ourselves. Now, given, given absolute freedom to turn to God, the, we have no interest. We have no interest. We're dead. And if you're dead, for you ever to to move towards God, you would have to be what? Born again. You would have to be revived. You would have to be regenerated. Ezekiel 36 says it beautifully. I will give you a new heart. This is what God says has to happen. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. I'll remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, right? You need a heart transplant. You need a total change of the will. So you with me? Here's the obstacle. This is why it's not so easy to say, gosh, I, don't, I just don't get why people don't see it. Well, they can completely see it. They just don't want it, right? So a number of years ago, there was a book um, written called um, Heaven is Real. Uh, Heaven is for Real. It was uh, the purported story of like a three-year-old or four-year-old who had a coma and then he um, um, came out of the coma and uh, told uh, his dad, who happened to be a pastor, that he had died and he had gone to heaven. And, uh, and he told him all these things that he saw in heaven. And um, supposedly some of them were, were things that he couldn't have known if this hadn't actually happened. The book went crazy. Uh, they made a movie out of it. And people would come here to church and they'd bring the book and they'd give it to me and say, why are we having everyone read this? Why aren't we uh, making a big deal out of this? Is it because there's no way anybody can read this story and not be converted and not become a Christian? And I remember I just have to kind of look at them and say, have you ever read the Bible? I mean, let me tell you what actually happened in the Bible. 
A man came, declared himself to be the son of God, did miracles and other deeds that, uh, that proved to be the case. Then he was executed. Everyone saw him executed. And on top of that, he resurrected from the dead. He was dead. They saw him. It was public. It wasn't a private killing. Everybody saw it. It was in the crossroads of the town. And then, after laying in the grave a couple days, he actually emerges alive. And because everyone saw that, they were all converted. Is that the story of the Bible? People having seen that with their own eyes, well, all all the Roman Empire was converted. No. Having seen it, they wouldn't be converted. The problem is not a lack of knowledge, right? We just give people the right knowledge, then they'll do the sensible um, thing. That's not what stands between us and being a Christian. What stands between us and being a Christian? We don't want to be one. It's our will. The way to life is to serve ourselves. We're convinced of it, right? There has to be a massive change that happens in our will. So Richard Dawkins was a, uh, an atheist. He wrote a book, became uh, famous, called The God Delusion. The whole idea of believing in God is just uh, delusional. And the uh, book was wildly popular, and, and, and he was quite noted. Um, so I'm reading a book by Andrew Wilson, um, this week, and he, 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 he said the most interesting thing. He said of, of, uh, of Dawkins' book, this book has the unusual distinction of refuting itself before it ever begins. <laughs> awesome line. He says his book refutes itself before he even starts because the epigraph, which appears before the contents page, in other words, you open the book, first thing, has a quote. Isn't it enough to see that a garden is beautiful without having to believe that there are fairies at the bottom of it too? So what's Dawkins saying by putting that quote in there? He's saying, listen, you walk into this awesome world, right? You enjoy all the beauty, all the splendor, all the, uh, the stars, the sky, everything in this awesome world. Um, and you don't have to then, just enjoy it. You don't have to then think that there's some sort of supernatural meaning behind it all, that there's some sort of fairies out there running everything. That's what he says before he even starts the book. So, um, so here's Wilson's response. No, gardens do not make us believe in fairies, but they do make us believe in another class of beings who offer a far closer analogy to belief in God than fairies ever could. They make us believe in beings whose design, creative activity, and ongoing care are responsible for the land resembling a beautiful garden rather than a wasteland or jungle or an overgrown weed-infested mess. What are those characters that are called what? Gardeners. Gardeners. You can't have a garden without a garden. A gardener, without a designer, without a creator, without a sustainer, somebody who creates it and makes it, right? You don't have to believe in fairies. You could actually believe in gardener, a gardener. Um, Without knowing it, Dawkins has taken our belief in a powerful, intelligent, caring designer whom we cannot currently see and tried to debunk it by referring to something, a beautiful garden that requires belief in a powerful, intelligent, caring designer whom we cannot currently see. Now, you may not even have understood one word of that, but I don't care. I loved it. (laughs) I just had really a a lot of fun reading it and telling you about it. And, you know, something really fascinating, uh, I thought, too, uh, God, the great gardener, what, what is Jesus mistaken to be when he resurrects from the dead by Mary? Oh, isn't that interesting? A gardener. It all happens in the garden, doesn't it? So there we have it. How can we live in a world and fail to see the gardener? You know, if we didn't have corrupted wills, 
All that would have to happen to anybody to be converted is say, go outside at night, lift your head up, and look at the stars, and everyone would fall on their face and worship the Creator. But we have corrupted wills. We don't want to see. And this is a damning problem, right? Got it? Point one with me? We got a big problem. Point two, you ready? Well, there's an ancient love. We learn of an ancient love in the Bible. So I have a question for you. If we are ever to belong to God, will it be because of God's decision or will it be because of yours? If you're ever to belong to God, whose decision is it that makes that happen? Whose decision does it rest upon? Because a lot of people believe that God extends his hand, you're drowning, you're drowning in sin and God extends his hand but it's up to you whether you'll what? Whether you'll take it or not. So if it's up to you whether you'll take it or not, then if you take it, your salvation, your conversion, ultimately depends on whose choice? Yours, yours, the ultimate choice depends on yours. Listen, that's just not even the way life works. If you're born, and, and I've looked around the room, I would guess most of you were, um, did you decide to be born? Did you decide to be conceived? It was someone else's decision. You had nothing to do with it, right? The parent decides. The Bible says if we love God, it's because he first what? He first loves us. It was his decision. He chose us long before we choose him. God um, in his kindness. You know, that's why the Bible says if we love God, you know, it's all because he first loved us, right? God chooses not to let us have what we want, which is an eternity of self-love and self-absorption and self-direction apart from him. So Romans 8, 29, what does it say? For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So foreknew, interesting word. So does that simply mean that God, um, knew, he looked ahead in history, and he saw what was gonna happen, so then he set it into motion, he predestined it. Is that what foreknew? Well, that takes a really powerful, rich word and, uh, and corrupts it, because the same word that's used there to know um, is the same word that's used in Genesis when it says that Adam knew Eve, and, um, and Eve was with child, right? Adam knew Eve. That doesn't mean that Adam just knew of her, that he became acquainted with this uh, creature called Eve, that they, they went to a dinner party together, that Adam walked across the room and said, hi, my name's um, Adam. He probably had a catchy pickup line like, not a lot of choice here for you, is there? Um, <laughs> so that he knew her, he just knew her, he became acquainted with her. That's not what the Bible's talking about. He knew her. He, it's uh, it's uh, sexual intimacy, passionate, personal um, is what it means. It means that before the world began, God um, set his love on us. Um, this doesn't uh, mean that he merely knew about us, right? He chose to love you before there was a you. What does Jeremiah say? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before there was a you, he knew you. Stunning, right? It's an ancient love. 
It really is, it really is something, isn't it? Just like even, you know, you can learn. What, what if you're, uh, and some of you sadly had this experience, but what if you, you know, were to learn that, that the, the mother or father you had wasn't really your mother or father. Maybe they died when you were just a little child or something. And all your life you had somebody else that was your mom or dad. Wouldn't you wonder, what was it like? There was somebody before I ever knew anything that loved me. There's somebody that looked at me with love, and I've never even known that. I've never even known that I was precious to somebody. I was the apple of their eye. Those whom God loved, he foreknew. Those whom he foreknew, Romans says, he predestined Ephesians um, says it again, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world, he predestined us to adoption in himself. There is a decision involved in becoming a Christian. God's. God's. Yes, we decide to follow Jesus, but only because he first decided to follow us. What does John 15 say? You did not choose me, but I chose you. The hymn writer <clears throat> puts it this way. Tis not that I did choose thee, for Lord thou could not be, uh, for Lord that could not be, this heart would still refuse thee, hadst thou not chosen me. Our friend Steve Brown used to often say, when you see a turtle on a fence post, what do you know? It didn't get there by itself. When you see yourself following Jesus, in love with Jesus, you didn't get there by your choice. You didn't get there by yourself. It's this ancient love that knew you, saw you, set in motion your salvation uh, in history. Um, so people will raise objections, right? This isn't fair. When God reaches down into fallen humanity, he raises from the grave some who are spiritually dead, but not all. That's not fair. Well, here's my question. Is there any reason that he would be obligated um, to raise all from the dead, right? I like to think of, there's a thousand um, Nazis, a thousand Nazis who actually personally uh, contributed, participated in the murder of, um, of, uh, of Jews, of gypsies, of, um, of people with physical handicaps, wanted to purify the race. They, um, they gassed them, they, they captured them, they, uh, tortured them, they loaded them into trains, they did it, they're guilty, they're vile, they're war criminals. What if you walked among them and you said there's a thousand of them, but 400 I'm gonna take, and 400 I'm going, we're going to not, not only pardon, but we're gonna give them houses, we're gonna educate their children, we're gonna give them um, jobs, we're gonna give them a vocation and a career, and uh, we might even give them vacation homes, and we're gonna set them up for the most wonderful life. How would you feel about that decision? Kill them all. Kill them all. They all deserve justice. Isn't it interesting the minute we mentioned that God would actually look at, uh, at fallen humanity and decide to save some and not all, what's our response? Don't you realize we're the Nazis in the story? Don't you realize that we had contempt for God? Don't you realize that we killed God's son? Don't you realize how guilty we are? And yet God has mercy on us. It's always the way of man to put, want to put God on trial, right? As if God is somehow unjust. Listen, get it straight. Nobody goes to hell because God sends them there. He doesn't have to send anybody there. People don't want him, remember? I, I made that very clear in the first point. 
And God merely lets them have what they want, right? God chooses not to force them and change their mind from what they want. Um, so let me say a couple words in implication. You know, this, um, this ancient love of God should make us confident in evangelism. Do you know what it means? There is, every one of you has somebody in your family or somebody at your work you say, this person will never be a Christian. They, they are so far from God. They, they, are, they, are, they are so proud, so bad, so arrogant, so, maybe you can say they're so wealthy. I mean, they've got so much comfort and ease and blessing and everything in this world, why would they ever need God, you know? This, every, every one of us has somebody who say, God, I think I could save everybody, but not them. Not them. Well, you see the folly of that. Um, if you really believe that, I just have a simple solution for you. Go look in the mirror and you'd be looking at the least likely Christian, right? If he saved you, how could you be reft of hope for anyone else, right? It's the power of God. God has the power um, to change any heart, the relentless love of God. Yeah, I was reading an article about the United States' approach to stopping jihadism in the world, Islamic jihadism, and the article uh, said something very unpopular. It said, well, you know, if we really won't encourage the conversion of Muslims to Christianity as a national policy, we're really not uh, ever gonna be effective. <laughs> I thought, yeah, that's interesting. Um, so this is a pastor uh, in, in Jordan telling the story of uh, uh, these massive um, camps of, uh, of, of Muslims have been displaced from Syria. And one of them, uh, a lot of jihadis in these camps I've hated you, one said, for the past eight years. I've tried to turn my community against you, but three months ago, it was your American doctors that treated me and paid for my hospital stay. We hate these people, yet they come here and they show us love. And this is what he said to the pastor, tell me the time of your services, I want Jesus. I want, how great is your Christianity, right? God can convert anybody. Who, who was the original jihadi in the Bible? His name was Saul of Tarsus, that's right. Um, God can convert anybody. So confident in evangelism, but also confident in our assurance, right? I love what it says. For those whom God foreknew, he predestined, right? Uh, and those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. You know what's beautiful about that? Glorification is what happens all the way at the end. That's after you die, you're in glory, right? Glory, glorification. But when Paul describes it in Romans chapter eight, he says, you're glorified. It's already in the past tense. He refers to it in the past tense. Well, it's future for us. But Paul's saying, it's so certain, I'm seeing it has already happened. That's how certain it is. Oh, Jesus says, of all the Father gives him, he will lose none. Every Christian has to have moments where they say, will God still love me now? because of what I just did. Will God still love me if I do, you know, if I do that? I'm such a screw up, I'm so far from being what I should be. What would it be like for you to have utter security in this ancient love of God? You know what it is for God to love us? I, you probably saw this video on, uh, mm -hmm. we're the sheep, right? <laughs> this is what it takes for God to love us. Whoa! 
He will never let us go. He'll go pull us out again, won't he? And then he'll pull us out again, and then he'll pull us out again. The Bible, there's a book of the Bible called Hosea. It tells a story of a prophet. God says to this prophet, I want you to go down to the market, and I want you to buy your wife. She's prostituting herself down there. And Hosea says, I'm done with her. I'm done with this woman. No, I want you to go and take her, take her for your wife again. Um, though she's unfaithful, I want you to go marry her. And Hosea or any other person on the earth would say, what are you thinking? And God says, because I want you to show Israel what it's like to be married to them. This is what it's like for me to be married to you, is what God is saying. This is what it's like for me to be married to you, is that I take you back and I take you back and I take you back and I will never cast you aside. I got, I got nine little grandsons and when they go in the swimming pool, you know, when they're really little, they stand right on the edge. You know, you say, come on, jump in, I'll catch you. And their knees are shaking and then they back away. And, you know, and finally, I just gotta reach up and kind of yank them in, you know? And, uh, and they're so quivering, but you catch them and you hold them and they're like, this is kind of cool. And, and honestly, it's about three minutes later, if you turn your back, they're diving off the deep end, you know? And uh, because they're so confident, right? My granddad's gonna catch me. I know it. That's it. What would it mean for you to get this point? That that's how you can live in this world. Your dad has you and he'll never let you go. It's an ancient love. So let's finish with this. How does it actually come to you personally? How does this conversion happen? It's a regenerating power. How, you know, how is somebody who's loved by God before they were even created, before the world was even created, but now they're dead in their sins. How do they actually become alive? Well, the Bible says we're called. Remember, we highlighted that word? We're called. We're called by Jesus. We're hourly called. We hear the word of God. We hear a preacher. We, hear, we read a book. We hear the Bible. We read the Bible. We hear the Bible being um, taught, um, the love of a Christian. Um, we, we, we hear God speak to us, whatever it is. Um, there's, there is a... There is an outward call, but there's an inward call, the Bible says, by the Holy Spirit who opens our minds and hearts to understand the truth and respond to Jesus with our love and affection. That's what the confession says in chapter 10. All those whom God hath predestined unto life and those only he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call them. He calls them. Now, I want you to make this very clear. It's not an invitation. It's not an invitation. God doesn't invite us. When God made the world, he didn't say to the stars, okay, you can go up in the sky and shine if you want to. Let there be light. And there was. He speaks it into existence. When Lazarus is in the tomb, Jesus doesn't say, okay, Okay, please come out, right? Lazarus, come forth. It's not an invitation. It's a command, right? What does the Bible say about us being drawn? John 6, no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. He draw, you know the word draw? It's a, it's a word we still use. And the, that word in the Bible is, 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 is only elsewhere used to mean what you do to get what do you draw to get water out of a well, right? You have to draw the water 
out of the well. You don't go to a well and say, water, water, water. Come on, come on, please, 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 please. Water, water, water. Come here. It doesn't work that way. What do you have to do? You have to send something down into the darkness and pull the water out of the well, compel it to come out. That's what it means if Jesus didn't send his Holy Spirit to make us physically new, then we would remain in the cold, dark bottom of the well of our unbelief forever. This is what it means to be born again, to be regenerated, to be converted, and there is nothing like it. There is nothing like watching God crash into the lives of people. I love hearing the stories of how God calls people and their eyes open. Some of them go to church for 20 years before they're ever converted. And, and, and God opens their eyes and their life becomes new. We had a guy come to our church one time, he was rough. He was a DEA agent, um, drug and alcohol enforcement. I mean, he'd been undercover in Tennessee mountains with, uh, with, with um, you know, neo-Nazi groups. He'd been in Colombia with drug gangs undercover. I mean, this was one rough character. Came from a Catholic background. I remember he said to me, I walk in your church the first time and there's no holy water. What is this? This isn't a church. And um, uh, he, t- he told me, he said, Jesus is coming to my life and it screwed everything up. He said, I used to catch these bad guys. I'd get my hands on them. These uh, drug gangs, these drug runners. And he said, I'd take, their, take them and I'd smash their head nine times on the trunk of the car. Now I got Jesus. He said, you know, when I get these guys, I look at them and I think, that should be me. There's nothing different between me and them. The only difference is that God found me and loved me and changed me. That's the only thing. And he, and he said, I look at them and I, I feel compassion for them. He said, it's just ruined my job. He said, now, I mean, Jesus, I just take them one time and smash them on the car, you know. Guy in our church is playing golf at Black Diamond. His wife is coming to our church and he drank too much after he finished uh, playing. Turned out a Black Diamond on 491, overcorrected uh, and uh, rolled his car about seven times. His truck about seven times. Crawled out of the wreckage without a scratch on him and that day he became a follower of Jesus. Wouldn't you? I love to hear the stories. They never grow old, do they? So I asked this morning, have you been converted? Have you been born again? You know? Do you have that realization um, that the Creator loved you before He flung the first star in the sky? Long before you ever knew it, you were the apple of His eye. You know, perhaps you've known how you fell in love with Jesus, but now you know the rest of the story that ancient, fierce, passionate, sacrificial, determined love that he's always had for you. We can't ever stop hearing that story, can we? It never gets old. Dad, tell us the story again. Come on, Dad. Tell us again and again how you loved us before the world began. Think about that. 
before there was an earth, he knew you. It'll change you forever. Jesus, may the power of this ancient love be your call. Right now, would you be calling people in this room? They've heard the outward call of the gospel. Now may the inward call of your Holy Spirit be stirring them hearts to say, yes, this is what's been missing. I've been trying, but I need what only you can do. Take my heart of flesh. Take my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. Lord, make me alive to you in a way I've never known. Oh, may it be so, lover of our souls. May it be so. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to help support the local body of Seven Rivers, please visit our website at sevenrivers.org.